Good morning and welcome to Cornerstone this morning. We're so glad to have each of you here today. We invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And just for a few comments this morning, we'd like to talk about clam chowder. Recently, Bonnie prepared some clam chowder. She added, added some extra bacon, made it really flavorful. And as soon as I took a bite off a spoon of clam chowder, I was flooded with all kinds of memories of specific places that we had been and specific people that we had been with. I mentioned that to her, and we began to reminisce about all these special memories of places and people where we had enjoyed clam chowder. Now you may think that well, that's just something old people do. But I think all of you probably have some memories <clears throat> attached to food because God made us that way. What about things like uh, what comes to mind when you think of popcorn or pizza? You know, maybe steak on the grill or maybe, maybe hot dogs and s'mores over an open fire. There's all these memories of people and places that begin to flood your mind. That's exactly how God made us. He wanted us to be able to attach memories, and he did it in one unique way, by the things we eat. He gave us two things to remember him by, the bread and the cup, that we would do that in remembrance of him. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse, we'll start here in just a few verses. Chapter 23, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner, he also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show or proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So in that very simple action of eating a little piece of unleavened bread and taking a sip of grape juice, memories flood our hearts of who Jesus Christ was and what he accomplished on the cross for you and I and his resurrection three days later. And it also looks forward to the day when Jesus Christ is coming again. All of that in the simple action of putting a few things through your mouth. Turn also, if you will, over to Hebrews chapter 9, just a few verses there. Hebrews chapter 9, at the end of the chapter, verse 24, it says, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entered into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So in that simple action of taking these little elements into our mouth, remember all those things, but we look forward, we look ahead to that time. We want to be among those who are looking for his appearing. Because he will come the second time without sin to finish the things of this world and to take us all into his kingdom forever. 
we want to go to prayer. <clears throat> I'm going to ask Brother Ivan if you would lead us in prayer. Any special prayer requests that come to mind? We want to think of all. We th think of several things of the purposes of God in our nation as we come up to the days before this election when remember Mary Jo Carpenter and her need after surgery other thoughts other people you want to remember in prayer at this time yes Remember the family that just lost their home by fire and a friend who has MS but is needing help with fear of what's ahead in his life. Yes. Encouragement to be in fasting and prayer for the upcoming election. Other thoughts? Brother Ivan, could you lead us in prayer, please?
Once again, we grateful that Mark Andrews is with us and his wife Teresa here for this weekend. And we just look forward to the Holy Spirit's presence and the message this morning in the messenger. And we just turn it over to Brother Mark. Good morning. Good morning. I've got a cold I can't hear very well. You're going to have to speak up. It's a blessing to be here again. I told somebody on the flight in, we were coming in close to Columbus and we flew through the lightning thunderstorm that was happening at the time. And when we got on, the pilot came on before we took off and he said, we're going to not have any service on this flight. It's only a 45-minute flight, and it's going to be bumpy, so we want everybody to sit down, buckle up, sit tight. We're going to experience some turbulence on the way in, and he said, but fortunately, it's a short flight, so we were expecting turbulence, and as we got closer to Columbus, the lightning was flashing outside the windows, and we hadn't had a whole lot of turbulence, but all of a sudden, the plane started bucking a little bit, and got a little worse and I thought well if we go down at least I won't have to preach <laughs> which is a really bad attitude I apologize <laughs> you aiming the apology or the bad attitude <laughs> I remember brother Keith one time I remember that he preached his son's funeral. And I, next time I saw him after that, I expressed to him, I didn't know if, how difficult that must have been to have preached his son's funeral. And he said at least it was the, an opportunity to preach the gospel. And that was kind of a kind of a perspective changer for me. I don't know how long it lasted. But. I was appreciative of the openings this morning. When Brother Aaron got up, I thought he was going to preach my message for me. And I cheered him on, you know, silently, but he didn't do it, so I guess it still falls to me to do this. And, and what I want to talk about this morning is something that I don't hear very often from the pulpit. You hear, again, allusions to it. Uh, and maybe you've heard more messages on this than I have, but I believe it's a very important one, and it's culturally relevant as well. And I believe as Christians, we have to respond to the culture around us. We live in different cultures uh, at different times. My ancestors probably lived in a very different political culture as well as social culture. Cultures change, people change, things change around us. And as we, as we live in these cultures, we have to respond to them in some way or another. But one, one thing about it is that as culture changes around us, we have to remember that we are serving an immutable God, and that means he does not change. And so as people, we may change in some ways, some ways that we just naturally go along with the society around us. We drive cars now because cars were invented. We have air conditioning in our homes because air conditioning was invented and we don't like to be hot. We use uh, furnaces of various sorts in our homes to heat in the wintertime because we don't like to be cold. And so we respond to the times in which we live. But morally and spiritually, we serve an immutable God. He does not change. And we have to remember as his people that we are serving that immutable God. And because he does not change, there are certain things that are non-negotiable about the way that we respond to our society around us. And I want to look at that for a while this morning because our society is in an upheaval. And as Brother Aaron talked about that this morning, uh, he hit on just a couple of points very quickly that I want to hit on as well. But I do want to 
it, that reminds me, I want to welcome everyone who is here this morning. I know that there are uh, folks from various backgrounds, various congregations, various uh, fellowships. I have cousins here. I have nephew uh, here this morning. Uh, and I am thankful for the gathering together of God's people into one place. He promises us that where we gather together in his name, just in few number even, where two or three are gathered together in his name, he is in the midst of us. And sometimes we stop saying, stop that verse there, but he says in that to bless. He's here to bless us this morning. And I trust that whatever our differences might be, that the commonality that we have is the Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation through him that God has given to us in such a great way. And we're thankful for that. We live in a very divided country today. And Brother Aaron mentioned that. We have a very divided country politically. We have a very divided country philosophically. We have a very divided country socially. And there are elements within this country that are striving to drive us apart. It's a work of Satan. Striving to drive people apart. Not that they would remember, as I said a little bit earlier, they're coming undone. They're commonalities, but rather trying to emphasize the divisions, the things that divide us. And Satan is ever at work in that same work within the church, within our families, within our nation, within our communities. He is a divider. The divisions are propagated along every delineation possible. Race, religion, gender, income, origin, ethnicity, skin color, handicap, politics, you name it. If there's a way to drive a wedge in between people, Satan and those who follow him are willing and able and eager to do it. And the absolute hatred and intolerance is being provoked by those who stand to gain something in some way. And, there's, and, and I'm not going to get off into politics, okay? I'm just laying the groundwork here for what I want to talk about. But there are basically two things that, I, that I've perceived that are the motivators, uh, at least in the mid-level, for the hatred and intolerance that's being provoked. And one is power, and the other is money. And if you look at the divisions that are being propagated, you'll find in, in, in almost every case that money and or power are behind those. And those are tools that Satan uses to induce people to drive these wedges between other people based on these delineations. I believe, and maybe without easy proof, but that I believe the enemies of our country internal and external are behind it and behind them is the father of lies and so as we look at these divisions that are being uh, encouraged and driven in all of the various ways today social media through the through the press through politics uh, through as, as brother Aaron mentioned the uh, social justice movement and so forth uh, I, I've been intrigued by this as I look at it over the years because I see that those uh, that we as conservative Christians who value the opportunity to worship our God in freedom in this country and for that we praise God but I've noticed that there are things in the social justice movement and other political movements and so forth that we would be in sympathy with and others that we absolutely wouldn't be in sympathy with. But what I want to get at this morning is what the Christian response is and, the, and, and to drive home the commonalities that we have and how we should react to these things. Turn with me to the, the fifth chapter of Matthew. I want to read verses 43 through 48 of the fifth chapter. Obviously, we know that this is the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is teaching about many things in this, but this particular passage where we begin at verse 43, he's talking about loving our enemies. Jesus said in chapter 5 of Matthew, verse 43, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Jesus is laying the baseline for what people naturally know and what had been taught to them. And Jesus, as he so often did, he's going to turn things completely around, completely upside down, completely on their head. So he teaches in verse 44, But... I say unto you, 
Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. There we have it. Again, God is immutable. He is unchanging and he is perfect. Morally and in every other way that we can think of, God is perfect. He is mature. He is without fault. He is perfect. He is immutable. He does not change. And Jesus, his only begotten Son, when he came to earth, he teaches us as, his, as the children of God that we ought to imitate God in these things. But the problem is that it requires a certain way of thinking, a certain mindset. And the problem is that we as humans get off track in that because we have a sin nature. And that sin nature instructs and and uh, drives us in certain ways that come natural to us. And that is why Jesus so often had to turn things on their head because he had to teach that which was anti-human, if you will, or humanistic. He had to teach that which went against our grain, against our nature. And so he says, you've, you've heard that it has been said, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. And Jesus on the cross proved that he not only preached it, but he lived it. He thought it. That was his worldview because he was fully God and fully man. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The Christian response, rather than responding in anger and disgust and rejection of others who hold different views from us, who hold different values from us, even those who we would count as our enemies or who would count themselves as our enemy, our response is to be love and blessing and goodness. You've heard that before. You've read this before. You've been instructed and taught this before. But it must be reinforced time after time after time that it become not something, not merely something that we know about from our head knowledge, but it is in our heart and it is in our worldview and it is in our very knee-jerk reactions is to love and not hate. Aaron pointed that out. He said it when he got up, you know. The problem with this job is I so often have to expose my own weaknesses, and this is true for all of us. We kind of chuckled because we're all there, right? We're all there. But why are we supposed to respond in, 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 in love, blessing, and goodness rather than anger, disgust, and rejection? It's found in verse 45. He says that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he, he, and then Jesus goes on to point out that God loves all people equally. Those who reject him and those who love him, he loves equally. The scripture says, for God so loved the world. It's very familiar, right? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God is not willing that any should perish. And to prove that, he gave his own son. Or in proof of that, I guess we could say, he gave his own son. You know, the rapidity with which social justice doctrine has evolved in recent years, I believe that persecution or prosecution for not subscribing to some of the more Orwellian inversion of language that they subscribe to cannot be far ahead for Christians. And I think that we need to meet this head on and we need to recognize that it's coming. And I, don't, I, I am a person who likes to see glasses half full rather than half empty. I like to see the best, but I also realize and recognize that we are warned in Scripture to be prepared for what may come. And I've been astounded in my 58 years of life how rapidly society is moving away from God uh, at least some element of it in our country. And we need to recognize that, it, that, that who is behind it and what may come in, in the not-too-distant future. Language is being undermined to the point that uh, of not meaning anything at all. And, and, and you can read this. You can go on the, on the web. You can read in, in, in various places. But one thing in particular that just you know, kind of blows our mind is the way that people want to redefine the genders. And you can just assign whatever gender you want. And they even say, make statements like this, a man having a baby is still a man. 
right? If a man doesn't mean anything at all, then a baby doesn't mean anything at all. No word means anything at all, and you can substitute any word you want for that sentence and make it complete nonsense, which is what it is already, if it doesn't mean anything. If a man isn't a man, a baby isn't a baby either. And none of the rest of that, having and still, they don't mean anything either. Substitute any word you want. They're complete nonsense. You're going to start with nonsense. You're going to end with nonsense. And we recognize that. Male and female created he them, the scripture says. I'm sorry. You can lose your mind over that, but fact is fact. But that's not where our society is at today. And I'm not up here to, to rail against what society is doing. I'm here to try to encourage the saints to see and have a biblical worldview as we serve an immutable God. One of the biggest divisions the agenda-driven elements are trying to make worse today is the racial one and divide us according to skin color and race and ethnicity and so forth and so on. So what is the Christian response to that? Well, I want to start maybe at the end and work backwards. So go with me to the, cha to the uh, seventh chapter of the Revelation. The seventh chapter of the Revelation. And in the seventh chapter, I want to begin reading at verse 9 and go down through the 17th. This is a fantastic passage. <laughs> I'm so encouraged when I read things like this in, this, in the scripture. And it, inform, it should inform our worldview, it should shape our worldview, it should help our understanding of God and his nature and his intention and his will, not just overarching, but for us personally right now today. This is what he says, after this I beheld, this is chapter 7 of the Revelation, verse 9, after this I beheld and lo a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne. That's the title of the message today. Nations, kindreds, people, and tongues. I beheld and lo a great multitude which no man could number. We got computers that can number big things. Maybe that's what he means. Computers can do it, but mankind can't because we're so limited. I don't really think that's what he means. I simply think that he means it's such a vast multitude that as we look at it, we can't even estimate how many people there are. This is how many people are surrounding the throne. And then he says something that's critically important. He says, which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, clothed in white robes and palms in their hands and cried with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and all the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of, the great out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto the living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. These people of all nations, kindreds, people, and tongues are they which came out of great tribulation. And as we would understand this, we would understand that these are people who were believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, who were killed, whose lives were taken from them during the great tribulation. And as they 
uh, appeared in heaven, we see them as, as a mass of people surrounding the throne of God, giving him glory, and God has wiped away all tears, all remembrance, or at least all sorrow about what they had to endure during the wrath of Satan as it was poured out upon the earth, and they, their lives were taken from them, their livelihoods were taken from them, their families were taken from them in death, they were slaughtered, they were stolen from, they were run around, they were killed in horrendous ways. And it says here that their consolation is that God himself ministers to them and takes away all of this sorrow and all of this pain. They shall hunger no more, it says, and they shall neither nor, nor thirst, neither shall a sun light on them nor any heat. For the lamb that is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and lead them into living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. What an incredibly beautiful passage and consolation and comfort to those who will have to endure the time of Satan's wrath upon the earth. But I just want to note again that lest we think that our cloistered little clusters of people, those with whom we fellowship each Sunday, or as we travel across, across the country, we're it. I would encourage you to read the seventh chapter of the Revelation. Because this tells us that all nations and all kindreds and all people and all tongues are represented around that throne. And not just one, but innumerable numbers of them. They are believers who come to Christ and our lives are taken from them during the great tribulation. You picture those, the picture of those in the presence of God who endured the great tribulation is awe-inspiring to me. Millions upon millions of people. The devil in the world may try to divide and destroy, but here we have a picture of the uniter, the Lord Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, the one who has created all of us, they are around his throne, unified in their praise and glorying of God. Jesus Christ unites and he gives everlasting life and life to all nations, kindreds, people and tongues, not just in the great tribulation, but throughout history. This isn't a one-time event or a few years event that is special in the history of the world. This is something that God has done from the very beginning. The problem is that God, while he is a uniter, it is man that is a divider. It is Satan that is a divider. He's the one who came to the garden. He's the one who tempted Eve. He's the one that, 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 that has split mankind according to all sorts of these different delineations over the years. But as we come to Christ and as we come to know him and as we come to know God, we come to know the great uniter, not the great divider. He is the one that heals. He is the one that brings back together again. He is the one that shows us our commonality and our, and our understanding of what his will is for all people. I, I just, I'm amazed at how we sometimes get to, be, get to thinking uh, about ourselves in relation to the rest of the people in the world. I want to read some, reread, if you will, some verses in James. Uh, in the second chapter of James, and this again, I, I want to, to couch this as our response to our society around us and the divisions that are being sown among people. They have been for many years. Satan is behind all of these divisions. And we, we recognize that we as God's people, and I want to hasten to add this. I'm not, I'm not trying to... You know, push some kind of eucumenical movement where everybody just gets together and sings kumbaya and we're all uh, wonderful and everything's great and the sun's shining and the birds are singing and the flowers are popping up. I recognize that there are problems. I recognize that there are divisions that Satan brings. But I just want us to, to recognize the most important aspect of all of this. And that is that he who unites us. So... So let's look at James, the second chapter, and uh, do the, read the verses beginning at verse 1 and going through the ninth. He says, My brethren, have not faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect to persons. If there come into your assembly a man 
with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come on also a man poor, a poor man in vile raiment. And ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in the good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised unto them that love him? But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do they not blaspheme that worthy name by the which ye are called? If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. You read those again. If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye shall do well. You know, it was a man that came when Jesus taught something like this, and he said, Who is my neighbor? And Jesus proceeded to tell him of the Samaritan. Now, the Samaritans were a people who were half Jewish. They were considered dogs by the Jews. They were outcasts. When Jesus went to the woman at the well, uh, to the woman at the well, it said he must needs pass through Samaria. Why would he must needs pass through Samaria? Because he had a work to do in Samaria. He had an appointment with a woman at the well, a woman who had had a bunch of husbands and, and wasn't living with her current. He she wasn't currently living with the husband that she did have. And Jesus sits there on the well, and when she comes to draw water, he says to her, "Will you draw me a cup? Can I have a drink?" And she says, "What are?" What? Why is a Jew asking me, a Samaritan woman, for water? It was the most mind-blowing thing to her. She couldn't figure this out. She couldn't understand it. Jews had no commerce with Samaritans. Even his apostles, when he said, we must needs go through Samaria, they said, well, you know, we can go around like Jewish people do. We don't go through Samaria. And Jesus was beginning in his ministry there to teach about all nations, all kindreds, all people, and all tongues. James here, as he reflects on the teachings of Christ and the will of God, he says to us and to them, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. This means that there is no place in the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ for partiality based upon anything. Not money, not ethnicity, not language, not kindred, not background, not skin color, not hair color, not anything, not the amount of wealth, nothing. Those people that were surrounding the throne of God, they came from every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. They had various degrees of wealth, of education, of skin color, uh, you name it. It didn't matter. They were around the throne of God and they were there because they praised the name and accepted the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And respect or partiality of persons equals sin. This is what James tells us. And if ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing and say to him, sit here in the good place, come up front, sit here. And the other guy who has raggedy clothes and no gold rings on his fingers, you say, well, I think there's, there's standing room way back over there. Go back in the back corner back there. Or if you must, here, you sit at my feet. He says, are, are you not partial? Have you not judged the value of this person? Have you not judged the value and said, yeah, this person, because he's successful, because he's wealthy, because he's good looking, because he has well, uh, expensive clothing on, this guy's worth something. But you, you're raggedy, you don't have the gold ring, you probably live in a dump, you know, why don't you go back there and, uh, and uh, you know, count yourself lucky that I even noticed that you were here. James says, that's sin. Are you not partial in yourselves and are become judges of evil thoughts? In other words, evil thinking judges of people. Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him? In other words, man judges on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. 
And God values what's in the heart, not what's on the skin. He doesn't care about the color of the skin. He created all skins. He doesn't care about hair color. He doesn't care about money. He doesn't care about your education. He doesn't care about those things. What's important to God is what's in men's hearts. And that's what should be important to us. In fact, he says, judges with evil thoughts have sinned. If you have respect to verse, persons, verse 9, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. As transgressors. I want to just bring this into a real personal aspect. Even within the church, and you may have to consider this as the chastening of the Lord. And I hope, I hope that if, if it applies to you, the Lord convicts you of it. Old people. You don't need to raise your hands. Middle-aged people. Young people. Partiality is sin. We sometimes pride ourselves in some form or another because we are children of God, children of Christ. And yet we allow partiality to cloud our thinking and our judgment. Even within the church, there develops groups, cliques. And while we, in, on the one hand, would say, oh, no, we value all people equally. We don't behave that way. And we behave, folks, according to what's in our hearts, even if we don't admit it to ourselves. Oftentimes, you get a big group of people together, and there's the in-groups and the out-groups. And the reason that they're the in-groups and the out-groups is because they have developed value systems. And there are certain things they value. Young people, it might be wealth. It might be athletic ability. It might be your lineage, who your parents are. It might be any number of things. But you have developed a value system which is ungodly. And if you develop a value system, regardless of your age, and it is ungodly because it causes you to look at someone else and devalue them from the way that God values them, it is sin. Period. There is no getting around it. Your argument is not with me. Your argument is with James and the one who inspired James to write this scripture. I'm just the messenger. So think about that. You have a group? Now, of course, personalities, we make all sorts of excuses. Well, we enjoy certain people's personalities. We just click with certain people. And, you know, after a while, I mean, but if you're always gravitating to that group and if you're looking over your shoulder at those who are not in the in group, young people, again, this is especially, this is especially pertinent to you, but it's not exclusive to you. I'm not condemning young people because they're the only ones who fall subject to this, okay? But you have to be very, very careful. Listen to the wisdom of the word. Be washed in your minds and hearts. If there's someone that you're looking at and thinking that they're somehow lower than you in the social class because of their skin color, because of their heritage, because of their language, because of their ethnicity, because of whatever it might be, wealth, it doesn't matter. It is sin. Lay it aside. Accept people for who they are, who God has made them to be. God does not change. He is immutable. And we have been commanded throughout Scripture that we should accept and value people for who God has made them. Paul, when he was writing to the Corinthians, he said, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. 
people just naturally like to divide. We like to be in in-groups. We like to feel special. We like to feel superior. We are all sold under sin. And those of us who are believers, we have become, praise God, washed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he washes away those divisions. He washes away color. He washes away ethnicity. He washes away language. And he unites us out of all nations, kindreds, people, and tongues. Romans 12:3, Paul says, For I say through the grace given unto me, and to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Oh, there's the out. I deserve to think of myself highly, right? I am special. You may be special, but you may not be special in the way you think you are. But to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. And then he goes on to say that we all contribute what God has given us in gifts to the body. That's the way we need to look at it. The more that we value people, what we value in them is what God has put in them, what God has equipped them with, the way that they can honor and glorify God in the kingdom, what they're doing for the kingdom. And then we look at ourselves and we start comparing ourselves among ourselves. And we say, well, you know, God has gifted me in this way. And I, that really is a, is, a, is a very good gift. And I'm really, I'm really a good teacher or I'm a good preacher or I'm a good this or I'm a good that. And because of that, I have some special thing that God has called me to. And so, you know, we start stratifying again. God has gifted us according to his measure of will. And even if we can say that we have a special gift, it's given to us by God. It's not developed on our own. We are one in the body of Christ. He unites and not divides. This is how we must see all nations and kindreds and tongues and people. We are all of equal value to God. Peter said that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There's proof of that. That scene around the throne in Revelation 7 is proof of that. Peter one time went up to the rooftop to take a snooze before lunch while lunch was being prepared. And it says he fell into a trance and this is what he saw. He saw a sheet tied to the four corners or gathered together at the four corners being let down from heaven. And it opens it up, and there's all kinds of animals in there. And the voice from heaven, God says, take Peter and eat. And he says, I don't eat unclean things, and there's unclean animals in here. And, the, and the, re the response is, what God hath called clean, do not call unclean. We call unclean those people that we look at because we have devalued them. That Peter understood that that was talking about Jews and Gentiles. At that time, they began, after that time, they began to worship together. Peter testified. He said, God has called all men unto himself. God is not willing that any should perish. And he later wrote that in his epistle. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. Jew and Gentile alike, of every nation, of every kindred, of every people, and of every tongue. And Peter's, Peter's response soon after this vision was, But God hath shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. When the Jews tried to separate themselves from the Gentiles. What a beautiful thing that God did in that vision, that trance that he showed Peter. There's other ways that we know God values all equally in the scripture. And I want to turn to the, to the book of Romans uh, to look at some of these things. I think we find uh, some really uh, beautiful passages, particularly in the fifth chapter of Romans. So I want to turn there. How do we know God values all equally? Those of us who are believers share things in common. And I want to look at some of these ways that, that we, the things that we share in common. Uh, and, and, we, and some of these things we share in common with, with, with all mankind. First of all, we share a common origin. Adam and Eve cr were created in the garden, and they are the father and mother of all mankind. doesn't matter what nation, tongue, people 
uh, or kindred that, that we are. We all descended from Adam and Eve. We share that in common. We all share a common fall. When Adam and Eve fell, the scripture testifies that their their, that, that heritage, that fallen nature was passed on to all mankind. doesn't matter uh, wh whether what kindred, nation, tongue, or people we're from. We all suffer uh, from that same, uh, that same nature, that fallen nature. Uh, and, and, and Romans 3.23 says that, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All is all-encompassing. doesn't mean one, one particular group, one particular people, one particular kindred, or one particular nation. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all are under one curse and spiritual death. If you look in this fifth chapter of Romans, you find in the 12th verse, Paul says this, Whereas, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, that's Adam, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. For all have sinned. Death passed upon all. That spiritual death passed upon all of us. We're all under the same curse. Every person in every nation, kindred, people, and tongue is under the same curse. And then you find that we all share a common condition. Look at verse 16. Verse 16 of the fifth chapter of Romans says, But not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation. We all share the same Condemnation, the same condition, that is condemnation before God. We've all sinned. We've all had that sin nature, and we've all followed through on that sin nature to sin against God. And the scripture testifies in the Old Testament, it is your sin that is separated between you and God. Remember, Satan is the divider. God is the uniter. We all suffer from that same a condition. We share a common origin, we share a common fall, we share a certain or a, a common sin nature, we share a common curse, and we share a common condition. But praise God, look at verse 17. It says, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. We share a common Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is none other name given under heaven whereby men must be saved. It is only Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Not by you, not by your brother and sister in the faith, not by your mother or father, not by your nation, not by your kindred, not by your people, and not by your tongue. It's only by Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what kindred, what nation, what people, what tongue. We are all saved under the Lord Jesus Christ and through him and his shed blood. And then we're all, we all have that common salvation. If you look at verse 18, it says, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation through Adam. Even so, by the righteousness of one, Jesus Christ, and I'm inserting Adam and Jesus Christ, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Again, all is all-encompassing. Every nation, every kindred, every people, and every tongue. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. The Old, Te the Old Testament was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And I believe that's one of the things that God did in choosing out uh, the faithfulness of Abraham. He showed us not only the, the importance of faith, but he also showed us uh, the importance of not discriminating, if you will, among people, nations, kindreds, and tongues. Because he did it in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, the New Testament through the blood of Christ, he opens it up to all people so that all people might have an opportunity for salvation. We all share a common Savior, a common salvation, and, and we share eternal life. Look at verses 19 through 21. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ. Eternal life. We share common eternal life. We're not going to separate places. We're going to be in heaven with God, those who are believers in him. The division is that there will be those who are in heaven, and there will be those who are not in heaven, and they are going to be in a place that Jesus called hell. A separation from God eternally. In whatever form that takes, it is going to be torment, Jesus said. But to be with the Father means that we are one in him. 
And we have the experience and the opportunity to be one with him now in life and then throughout all eternity we have eternal life. I want to turn now to Ephesians. We're out of time. We're going to try to go into this quickly. In Ephesians 4th chapter, <clears throat> this is Paul talking about this unity that we're talking about. We have, as believers... A common origin, a common fall, a common sin nature, a common curse, a common condition, a common savior, a common salvation, and a common eternal life. But we also have, as Paul talks about here, a common father. Look at verse 4, 5, and 6. Ephesians 4. There is one body, one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. You, you notice the, the repetition? In all, through all. All, again, is all-encompassing. He's talking about the mass of humanity. We are, who are believers in Jesus Christ, one in him. Because he makes us one, he unites us in that hope, in that faith. In that baptism, we share one father. We share one faith in verse 5. He says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We, faith, we, we, we share one baptism. Don't tell, you know, don't, don't tell the Mennonites. One baptism, verse 5. We share a common spirit, verse 4. What does it say? There is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. There is one hope. There is one body. You, do you see the common theme here? There is one, and in one, one is the number of unity. Do we have that mindset? Do we see all people, all nations, all tongues, and all kindreds as valuable in the eyes of God? Do we see the uniting power of God? Do you see that the work of, the, of God through Jesus Christ, the reason he gave his life on the cross for our, for our sins, was that he might unite us not only with one another, but that he might unite us with him. And so we have a blessed hope and a blessed calling, a, a blessed unity. We share all these things in common. While the world wants to divide, Jesus Christ wants to unite. And he does that. He wants to unite us with God, with, with, with him, and with one another. Throughout the scriptures, we have this picture of unity. May God help us to understand our calling and help us to bend our mindset and change that mind that, that, that is in us where we have partiality toward other people, where we look at them askance because of whatever they are, whoever they are, wherever they are, and we, we value them because of that and not because God values them in the way that he values them. May God help us this morning to bless our Heavenly Father by having the mindset of the immutable God who is not willing that any should perish, to love people of all kindreds, of all nations, of all tongues, and all tribes. May God help us toward that end is our prayer. Let's have a song.